Welcome to Marketing Week Meets the CX50 in partnership with Zone and Cognizant Digital Experience. My name is Russell Parsons, Editor-in-Chief, and I am your host. Now, over the past six years now, Zone and Marketing Week have compiled a list of the UK's top 50 customer experience professionals, the CX50. And in this podcast series, we talk to members of this esteemed group about what puts them and their brands at the forefront of customer experience. We meet organisational leaders, brand guardians, disruptors, technologists and growth drivers, all members of this exclusive group. Joining us today is Rachel Carone, Brand and Marketing Director at Starling Bank. Now, Starling enjoys recommendation levels that any company in any category would be happy with, but in financial services, not a sector blessed with the affection their customers' appreciation of the CX offered stands them apart. So what is their secret and how does it maintain that focus advantage as it grows? Just two questions we're going to dig in with Rachel, but she's not going to be doing that alone today. She is joined by Esther Duran, Chief Experience Officer at Zone, where she is tasked with helping partners transform UX and CX through digital and cultural transformation. Rachel, Esther, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Russell. Thanks, Russell. Now, Rachel, I'll start with you and I'll start big. Uh, Starling is known, as I alluded to in my introduction, for its CX excellence. If you were just to, to identify one or two things that were key to that success, what would you say they are? I mean, our founding mission um, at Starling was to change banking for good. We were founded by Anne Bowden, who is an industry banking veteran who had realised after the financial crisis that banking was quite broken. Um, She wanted to create a new bank that put customers first and genuinely helped them manage their money better. um, And also that was driven by technology. So that mission has and still does run right through the business from everyone from product to customer service to marketing to our operations. We're all centred on that same mission. What's the key to that success? Um, I guess I'd probably sort of split it down into a couple of things. First of all, there are some quite simple things that we do to make a difference. Things like not making our customers visit a bank branch, offering 24-7 customer service agents who are all human beings and all based in the UK. Second thing is our approach to product innovation. And I think that's where we really, really stand out. You know, we don't have the legacy technology that the traditional banks have. We were created in the cloud. So it means that building and rolling out new products and features can take just weeks for us. And we're often the first to market with them. And the reason for creating these features generally is because we think they're the right thing to do or because our customers ask us for them. So a couple of things. Thank you, Rachel, for kicking us off there. A couple of things I just want to dig into that you uh, discussed there. Uh, Changing banking for good, which is no small task and one that I suppose never ends. Uh, So that's the kind of motivating, driving force behind what you do. But how do you measure that? How do you determine whether or not you're getting anywhere close to it? Mm. I mean, yeah, our mission, as I said, has always been to change banking for good. And and we do that in lots of different ways. We are constantly innovating. So we're constantly changing things in terms of the product itself. Often customers come to us and tell us what it is they want. So we can create features that customers ask for. So, you know, I'm sure we'll come on to talk about it more. But, you know, we have lots of ways of doing that. So we very much sort of measure and monitor the types of things that we're launching that are based very much on customer feedback. 
Thank you. Well, let's just um, talk about that for a moment there, because um, innovation is is absolutely necessary and staying close to customers even more so, both to make sure that your innovation is effective and welcome. So how do you do that? How do you how do you remain close to changing and evolving needs and wants of customers to make sure that the innovation and the new products and services that you're offering are attuned to changing needs? So the main way we do that is quite simply listening to our customers and monitoring their feedback across all of our channels. So one of the ways we do that is through a Bright Ideas Slack channel. So um, we very much use Slack at Starling. It's a, a big part of sort of how we interact with each other across the business when we're not face to face. So the Bright Ideas Slack channel is basically a place where we've got our social team who are out there obviously capturing customer requests on all of our social listening tools. We've got customer service agents who are having conversations with customers all the time. And all of those people are part of this Bright Ideas channel. And what they do is post ideas that come up from the social listening, from the, the conversations with customers into this channel. And we then have a dedicated team that actually monitors the channel constantly. So that will be made up of developers, customer service agents, etc. So people will be constantly monitoring the ideas that are coming in. And then they meet weekly to determine which of those ideas we can actually move forward with. So mm. what can we build and, and when can we build it? That's the very, almost sounds like the very definition even of, uh, of staying close, customer closeness, which is a phrase that I hear a lot in marketing and business. And just with regards to that, I was reading somewhere earlier today about your approach to recruitment, uh, recruitment of customer services professionals. And there was two things that I noted. Firstly, that you actively seek people that perhaps don't have uh, experience of the category, but do have experience of delivering great customer services excellence. So just talk to me about how how Starling approaches recruitment and what you're looking for in people when you are hiring them to deliver that service. Yeah, I mean that that's absolutely right. You know, we we it you know certainly we we don't look, you know, the, the first thing we look for is is definitely not the kind of banking category experience. I think what we're looking for is people who are very curious people that want to be part of the journey that we're on and people that are genuinely passionate about sort of about what we're doing about changing banking for good about making things better for customers and I think one of the really sort of great things about how our customer services team is set up is that they don't have the same targets that a lot of call centers do so you know they're not chained to their phones trying to rush through customer questions so that they can hit their number targets very much about being able to help that customer and that customer leaving a call or leaving an interaction feeling really happy and like they've had a great experience at the end of it yeah, I thought that was really interesting. That was the other thing I was going to ask you about that I read about earlier, uh, which was how you measure and determine impact. And it isn't, and I've worked in a call centre many years ago, and we were targeted by the volume of customers that we spoke to, not the quality of the experience or the solution that we offered. And as I say, that was a long time ago, but I certainly get 
the impression when I interact with many companies and organizations that it is a box ticking exercise. Uh, so I thought it interesting that you do target success not by volume, but by quality of experience. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think, you know, that's the way that we find that people are more fulfilled in their role. And, you know, obviously when you've got people who are feeling fulfilled and happy, that then filters into the way that they deal with customers on the front line. It filters into the product and it then filters through the whole customer journey. You know, we have five company values at Starling, which are aim for greatness, own it, do the right thing, keep it simple and listen. And I think one of the really interesting ones there to me is own it. I think it's a brilliant value for delivering great CX because actually employees are really empowered to come up with ideas, but actually run with that idea right through to getting it rolled out for our customers. We'll talk about the uh, employee experience and making sure that you're using to the best of their capabilities employees in delivering experience a little bit later but I just want to talk about listening in particular in the current environment it's a challenging one and therefore financial services brands and providers have a particular and very important role so how is or does your service evolve when customer circumstances are rapidly evolving and people are very challenged at the moment Talk to me about what you've been doing and how that manifests itself. Yeah, I mean, it's as you say, Russell, it's it's a very challenging environment for people financially at the moment. And, you know, for, for us, obviously, we're very, you know, very aware of that. Um, there are there are probably two ways that we go about this. Um, we either build products either by listening to our customers' direct requests or by listening to problems and then working out how we can help them solve those problems. So... On the first point, uh, you know, customers asking us for certain products, you know, that there'll be certain things that customers will come to us via various channels and they will ask us to launch a particular type of product. A recent example of that was virtual cards, which basically allows customers to ring fence funds that they can set aside in their spaces and then have a dedicated virtual card to be able to access those funds. So it really helps people with their saving and it means that you don't bloat your budget because it's a dedicated card as part of these funds so brilliant obviously at the the moment um, for people to be able to sort of ring fence money the second thing um, is where customers ask sort of for a solution to a problem obviously with everything going on externally at the moment we've had a lot of customers asking us to build features that will help them during the cost of living crisis so things that allow them to better manage their money so on that, we've launched our first savings product, a fixed saver. So it's a really exciting kind of first move into savings for Starling. We've also launched a budget planner, um, which is a really in-depth budgeting tool. The great thing is you actually don't even have to be a Starling customer to use it. And the third thing probably to mention is spending insights, where we already offered quite a lot of spending insights so people can really see where their money's going. But we've actually added more categories, I guess, so that you can actually tag your spending, which gives you greater clarity on where your money's going. So how much you're spending on takeaways or home improvements or coffees. You can see that very, very clearly within your app. And to perhaps varying degrees, were all of these based and born out of suggestions, interaction, engagement with your customers? People, if not asking for these things directly, giving you information, expressing needs and wants that you've taken away and evolved, layering your own insight as a product development team? 
Yeah, I mean, so some of them, you know, we, we tend to sort of take things on a case by case basis. Some features will be requested by lots and lots of customers. And if we genuinely think this is something that's going to help customers, then we'll look to build it. But also, you know, features don't have to have that mass demand to be built either. You know, we built a great product um, right at the beginning of the pandemic called the Connected Card, uh, which basically allowed customers to be able to have an additional card as part of their current account that they could give to somebody who was a carer if they were shielding or anybody else that they trusted. So, you know, again, it's that sort of, you're not having to sort of hand over card details or physical cards. So that wasn't necessarily requested by customers. That was almost something we preempted um, was going to be a customer need. And it was a really, really big success. And having that engagement and relationship with customers must be very important ultimately to delivering that experience, but also setting you apart and differentiating yourself. I mean, on that point, you're not a small company anymore. I appreciate you probably still uh, could be credibly described as a challenger in financial services, but you are growing and you are growing very quickly. So how do you grow and make sure that you maintain that initial ethos, changing banking for good and doing so by delivering superior experience? What are some of the challenges of getting bigger? Yeah, so we we have grown a lot. You know, we are um, we have about three and a half million accounts now and about two and a half thousand employees. We're still growing. We've recently announced that we're going to hire a thousand people in in Manchester. So we'll be opening an office there over the next couple of months, which is very exciting. But I think the the, the main you know the the main answer, I guess, is that our original purpose remains the same, and and that is as we've talked about to change banking for good and to put customers first and. It's what has enabled Starling to be so successful in our industry, and we would never want to lose that. How do we maintain that as we grow? Company culture. We refer to ourselves internally as being customer obsessed um, and that we're constantly thinking of new features and how we can help customers' financial lives. And, you know, everybody that works at Starling is also a Starling customer as well. So, you know, it's almost like the more we grow, the more ideas we have. And and we're all sort of motivated to build a better product for ourselves as well as our customers. The more, I guess, the more customers we, we acquire, the more great feature ideas we get from those customers. So, we, you know, we, we become this sort of hive mind that makes the product better and better. And, you know, I think that then sort of, rolls up into being a greater change in banking. So the more great ideas that come, the more they're copied by other banks and the more the whole sector changes. So I think, you know, the the more we can kind of roll that out, the more we achieve that mission. So the growth of the company, I would say, doesn't stall our founding purpose. It's actually accelerating it as we grow. It's an interesting one because, you know, as your company gets larger, and uh, the challenge internally becomes greater. We've seen with a lot of traditional or legacy companies, for want of a better way of putting it, they start to think about themselves more than they think about the customer. So your obsession, to use your word, needs to get greater as you get bigger. I'm taking from what you're talking about there. Esther, if I could bring you in on, on this point of uh, obsession, customer obsession specifically. Uh, but, you know, uh, your experience and, and your advice for companies as they grow uh, to maintain the depth and breadth of experience that they offer is challenging. So what part does having that kind of central ethos, that central purpose that Rachel talked about, 
play? How do you make that purpose meaningful in serving customers? Yeah, that's a great um, uh, question, Russell. I think uh, purpose is, is one of the main drivers in any company or brand. Uh, we did a paper on what is the point of purpose back in December 2022, uh, where we conducted a research, I think from the beginning of October until December, so two months. And in that uh, research, we show how when a company embedded purpose within its strategy, there are multiple benefits to it. So some of which include uh, retention, which we know is one of the top challenges of any company um, they have right now, but also growth and customer conversion, just, just to name a few. So therefore, purpose is an intrinsic part, not just for customer experience, but also for the employee experience, um, as, as we call it, EX. So yeah, again, purpose will be hand-in-hand with delivering the right customer experience. Thank you very much for that. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm taking from that that you, you know, you have to have a point and a reason to be. You need to be very clear and very aligned on that. And obviously, part of that alignment is engaging employees. Now, Rachel uh, talked or alluded to employee experience earlier, and you've just mentioned it there. So let me continue with you, Esther, for the benefit of everybody listening. What's your take on exactly what employee experience? means and what steps can an organization take to ensure that well not only exists it's maintained and is meaningful yeah i think whatever you do you must include the following segmentations in your strategy one of them is your stakeholders of course uh, the second one would be your customers but the third one i mean it's equally important they are your employees Rachel was um, mentioning earlier, it's not about the quality of things, uh, it's about the quality of things, not the quantity of things. So while we design experiences, we always tend to focus on our customers. And sometimes we forget that your employees uh, are also the force that sits behind your brand. So Rachel was mentioning employees um, and Sterling Bank, they are also customers. So I think taking that into consideration will power um, you know, the right experience for and the purpose for your brand. So again, your brand or business will be very, very weak if you don't empower your employees with the right tools and the right skill sets to deliver excellence. So again, employee experience should be the foundation of your brand, um, not just customer experience. Yeah, and Rachel, if I could bring you in on that point from what you were describing earlier, everybody has a stake uh, everybody is motiv- motivated even by uh, ensuring that customers are central and that obsession is maintained. Employees can be your biggest advocates and it sounds like that they play a central role in that advocacy that Starling enjoys. So what does employee experience mean at Starling? Practically, how is it engendered and how is it maintained? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'll... Our employee experience plays a really big role at Starling in delivering great customer experience. And, you know, as I said before, we have five very simple company values that people really, really align with. And I think, you know, often people come to work at Starling because they want to be part of the journey that we're on. They can, you know, they they understand that we're trying to change things for the better um, and they, they want to be sort of part of that mission. And I think just having having a very open culture, having things like the Bright Ideas channel, having giving people the opportunity to really sort of 
be a part of that change is is really important when it comes to empowering people. You know, we very much empower our employees to come up with ideas and, and actually get that idea delivered. You know, it an idea becomes something really tangible that we deliver for our customers and they actually they see it in the app live being used. So it's such, you know, for, for our customer service teams and our tech teams particularly, it's such a brilliant thing to see. It gives them a real sort of tangible way that customers are, are using the app and how they've managed to improve it. We have a, a quarterly employee feedback survey right across the company and our customer service department rates really, really highly in that survey, um, which is not common really for, for call centres. And it's mainly because they have a lot of autonomy. You know, they're not just changed to the phone with call time targets, as I said earlier. They're very much assessed on how happy the customer is at the end of that interaction. So the five principles that you talked about, Rachel, how do you make sure that those are actually embedded? Is it a question of culture? just making sure that everybody is aligned? Or is there something more prescriptive, more structural that makes sure that people are aligned with those things? It's very much structural, but it also comes from the great sort of transparency that we have across Starling. So when people start their career at Starling, it doesn't matter what team you're in, you know, we have a, a very sort of full induction process, which includes lots of things around sort of our mission as a company, our values and how, you know, individuals can really, really make a difference working at Starling. We have lots of kind of very open channels or open forums where people can ask questions. You know, we have a weekly forum with Anne, our CEO herself, where people can ask her any question they want. So again, that real sort of transparency. So whatever you want to ask, whether it's around the strategy of the business, um, right down to kind of the simplest questions. It's a very sort of open, transparent culture. And I think that allows people to feel like they can make a difference and to feel like they can put their ideas forward. So yeah, I think sort of having a structure that allows people to kind of not be siloed into their own area, but actually to be involved in things that they feel really passionately about um, really helps with that. And that's every week, did I understand you correctly? Yeah. Every week? Yep. We have that every week. So it, it's something actually that started at the beginning of the pandemic where we were all remote and, and actually it was so successful and people just enjoyed having that sort of opportunity to ask really open questions so much that we've continued it and, and we will continue it. Yeah, it's good to hear. I think a lot of companies did start when there was that need for closeness and community during the pandemic, but fewer have continued to that degree. So it's, uh, it's interesting to hear. Uh, Esther, to change tack slightly, there is no shortage of data that is available to financial services firms like Starling, indeed other companies. But one thing is having data. Another is actually making sense of it. So how do you advise people take a step back and apply insight so that data can actually become useful in delivering better CX? Actually, uh, data is a topic that we talk quite a lot at Sun and Couples. And then that data is part of any organization. It doesn't matter if it's a large organization, medium, or small. Dark data is when you have a lot of data that you don't know you have. I believe it's more than 65% of any data that um, an organization has is dark data. So it means that it's not sustainable because obviously you are using quite a lot of resources uh, yeah, somewhere in a country or you know you, you have it all in a 
in the cloud or in your data server, and you don't even know you have it. So I think the, the myth of data is the new oil, I think it has to disappear. I think we need to start uh, creating a data journey where we capture only what we need and not just random things like, you know, your age or why you married or... I think data has to be used for personalization, especially for financial services and banking to help customers to make the right decisions. I think vulnerable um, population uh, needs to be helped. And I think data will help that um, vulnerable group um, to do the right thing when it comes to money. Rachel was mentioning earlier, they have done quite a few apps, um, sorry, features in the app where they are helping people with the cost of living crisis. I think that's what data is for, to support customers choosing the right decision. But um, apart from that, forget brands and, and organizations should start forgetting, you know, that data, gathering a lot of data is so important. It's not important anymore if it doesn't have any relevance. Yeah, I mean, that's, the, I mean, we, we, we've talked or used the word obsession quite a few times. Uh, in my time at Marketing Week, it has been an absolute obsession that companies collect and hoover up data in the vain hope, and it is often the vain hope that they might be able to actually do something meaningful without employing the rigor that you discuss and talk of to make it so. I've never heard anybody talk about it with regards to an impact on, on environment. Just It just lays bare the rather unfortunate phrase, data is the new oil, uh, when you think of it in those terms. Rachel, when it comes to data, I'm assuming that you would agree because it's manifesting itself in useful products and services. It's one thing having it, and I guess you're blessed with a lot of it at Starling. Another thing, doing something about it. I mean, I think we all are experienced, I'm sure you two are, have just been asked for constant feedback, constant information. And I, because it's my job, always think to myself, why on earth do they need to know that? I think they need to know it just because they're obsessed by collecting it. But anyway, to a question, Rachel, uh, how do you make sure that you, the data that you do get uh, is is applied properly? So how do you marry the data and the human insight? You know, I completely agree with what Esther was saying. I mean, we do have a huge amount of data available to us. Um, some of it's useful, some of it's not so useful. Um, I think what we try to do is is have a sort of combined approach, I guess. So we do take a data-driven approach to understanding which customers are, are more viable for us to target. Um, you know, those customers of anything from the age of, nine, of, of six to 96 at Starling. They can be young couples with joint accounts to parents that need a kite debit card for their children to small businesses. So data for us is very much around sort of looking at the types of customers that, that we want to target. But actually, what we then do is very much use a human emotional intelligence to actually reach them and connect with them. We want to demonstrate to customers. We don't just want to sell customers products and features. We want to demonstrate to them how relevant we are to them at different stages of their life journey. So to Esther's point, personalization is very, very important in that journey we've done a, a recent out of home campaign which is a really great example of that where our it was a whole series of ads that actually showcase all the ways that starling can fit into your life so 
couples using our bill splitting feature for their first date or a saving space being used for a joint account to save for a wedding, um, an emergency fund to fix your boiler when it breaks in the winter. So really kind of pulling out sort of and showcasing all the different ways that Starling can fit into people's life. Because, you know, at the end of the day, these are people with lives. They're not just consumers. And that might be perhaps the most obvious thing that anybody said, uh, any marketer has said to me, but one that is often forgotten that remember people are people with lives and they're not obsessed by the same things and concerned by the same things that we are i think they call it market orientation so thank you for reminding everybody listening of some fundamentals rachel now sitting on top of all of this i would wager is consumer duty which is a a phrase that has entered the lexicon quite recently but it's an actual thing it's a requirement of the fca Uh, so esther if i can begin with you what should consumer duty mean for organizations practically i think for many years uh, essential things like accessibility inclusive design and essentially looking after our vulnerable customers were not mandatory for banks and financial institutions. So consumer duty has changed that. It is all about putting customers' needs first. It is about democratizing experiences and also including more voices in the room that were not heard before. So I'm, I'm very pleased that consumer duty has finally um, is taking place um, because I think it's going to help us customers um, to be a little bit more shell from uh, things that we were not aware before. And, uh, you know, all these financial um, institutions and all those crises that we were having previously, probably it will help to, you know, to pose them a little bit. At the moment, what we are doing with banks and financial institutions is supporting them to move towards a customer centricity and those being not just ticking the boxes for their consumer duty, but obviously looking holistically to a future strategy. The government has set certain deadlines, but I believe that if you just look as an institution just to cover the next deadline, you're just literally taking boxes. And and I think consumer duty has to be something greater than just that. It has to be look holistically on what we need to achieve by 2025 and, and do things right. Yeah. Rachel, what's your take on on being dutiful and consumer duty in particular? How do you take it from being, well, a requirement, an obligation uh, to something that actually makes a difference in people's lives? Mm, I mean, you know, certainly at Starling, you know, we we see the con- the consumer duty as as a positive thing. Um, you know, obviously we're we're very supportive of it. We were founded with principles very similar to those sort of underlying the the consumer duty, namely uh, putting customers' needs first. We've always put the customer first. We've never had those hidden fees or charges that are obviously part of the consumer duty and. We want our communications always to be clear and easy to understand. That's all part of the Starling tone of voice. And ultimately, we want to, we want our, to help our customers make those really good financial decisions. Um, so, yeah, I think the, the, the principles that are included in the consumer duty are principles that have enabled us to be really successful in the first place. So just by way of conclusion, and Esther, I'll begin with you. For the benefit of everybody listening, if there's one single bit of advice that you would offer in pursuit of delivering better customer experience, what would you highlight? 
I think um, uh, new ways of working, old ways of working are not working anymore. So I think uh, having a, a team with uh, multi-skilled people with different backgrounds, different um, uh, crafts, I think it would be the one. Uh, back in the time, people was just um, asking the stakeholders, what should we do in terms of product or service design? And then the stakeholders where I know exactly what our customers want. This is something that has to stop. Stakeholders are not customers. They are just stakeholders. I think we need to start listening to what uh, customers want and need, and that being part of the discovery and research. And then co-creation with customers about the new features of the new products or the new services that you know your brand or your organization is going to put forward. I think collaboration and multi-skilled uh, teams, I think is the key for success in the future. Yeah, sound advice um, uh, and obviously desired outcome, but thinking differently about how you get there um, is, uh, is, is, is a great nugget to conclude on. Thank you, Esther. Rachel, the last word, or almost the last word, because the last word will be mine to you there penultimate word we've talked about it a lot in the last sort of hour or so but I think just that listening to customers and, and really kind of monitoring their feedback all the time you know these are the people that are using your product day in day out and their needs change and you know I think just being able to keep up with the pace at which customer needs are changing is so important and you know not being afraid to change things just because you've got a plan that's six months down the line or 12 months down the line don't be afraid to change that if your customer needs change so always listen to customers listen to your employees listen to the people around you and you know as esther said collaboration is absolutely key in getting to that that great point that's that's you know best for your customers and best for your employees so i think we're in line uh, I'll, I'll just add my own two pennies worth uh, i think the word that i've written down which might speak more about me than anything else on my pad today is obsession i think uh, be obsessed and make sure everyone shares in that obsession in the organisation uh, is what's coming through loud and clear from you guys today. Uh, but thank you very much uh, to Rachel. Thank you very much to Esther for your time and insight. Thank you to everybody that listened. Until next time on Marketing Week meets the CX50. From me, Esther and Rachel, goodbye. You have been listening to Marketing Week Meets the CX50 in partnership with Zone and Cognizant Digital Experience with me, Russell Parsons. This podcast was produced by Tim O'Donoghue at Bauer London Creative. Look out for previous episodes on marketingweek.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify and SoundCloud. Until next time, goodbye.